Today is week three in our series on marriage entitled True Love. I wanted to name the series Marriage 101, What You Should Know Before You Get Married, but because this uh, series started on, va- on Valentine's Day, my staff and I decided that we needed to pick a name that was more romantic, and that's why we named this series True Love. But to be honest with you, the title Marriage 101 What you should know before you get married is a more accurate description of what I've been teaching and what I'm going to teach today and next week. In week one, I began with what I consider to be one of the fundamental principles of marriage. To really be fulfilled in life, you have to find the one. Now, most people assume that when I say the one, I'm referring to the person they're supposed to marry, but I'm not. When I say the one, I'm referring to God. You see, God is supposed to be number one in our life, and our spouse is supposed to be number two. And if you get your priorities out of line, you're going to have big problems, big problems in your marriage. In fact, let me give you a tragic truth. You can marry the right person and still end up getting a divorce if God is not number one in your life or in your mate's life. I've seen it happen over and over again. Good Christians get divorced, but the reason they get divorced is because God is not number one in one of their lives or both of their lives. In fact, how many of you knew that Benny Hinn is getting a divorce? Benny Hinn is getting a divorce. They're both Christians, but his wife filed for divorce, and I can tell you right now, either God is not number one in Benny's life or his wife's life or both of their lives, because if God was number one in both of their lives, they wouldn't be getting a divorce. So... If you want to have a good marriage, you have to keep your priorities straight. God must be number one in your life and your spouse number two. In week number two, I explain something that every couple should know before they get married. I explain what it means to cleave unto your wife. I don't think I've ever been to a wedding ceremony where the pastor did not quote Genesis 2.24. And I can tell you from my own experience, I've never conducted a wedding ceremony where I did not quote Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. But most couples have no idea what that means. So they don't obey Genesis chapter 2 verse number 24, and they wonder why their marriage starts going downhill after two or three years. It's because the husband isn't cleaving unto his wife, or when he does, the wife doesn't respond the way that she ought to. So let me quickly review what the word cleave means. Cleave is translated from the Hebrew word debak. It means to pursue hard with affection and devotion. Now, what's interesting about this word is that this is the word that's normally used to refer to man's relationship with God. It rarely refers to man's relationship to anyone else besides God. In fact, the only other time that I know that it does is in Genesis chapter 2 when it's referring to a husband and a wife. But the majority of the time, this word is used to refer to the relationship between man and God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave. The word cleave is the Hebrew word debak. And as I said, it means to pursue hard with affection and devotion. So I want you to notice what Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 20 is really saying. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve. In him shalt thou pursue hard with affection and devotion. 
Now, the implication of this verse is crystal clear. Once you stop pursuing God, you're no longer considered to be cleaving to Him. So cleaving to God is pursuing Him with affection and devotion. Does everyone understand that? Good. Because if you don't understand what the word cleave means, you'll never understand what God was saying in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. When a man marries a woman, he's supposed to cleave unto his wife. He's supposed to pursue her with affection and devotion. And when he stops pursuing her with affection and devotion, he's no longer considered to be cleaving unto her. So according to Genesis chapter 2 verse number 24, we're supposed to pursue our wives even more after we're married than we did before we were married. We're to be more romantic. We're to be more thoughtful and caring after we're married than when we were dating. And that's what Genesis chapter 2 verse number 24 says. So the next time you go to a wedding ceremony and the pastor quotes that verse, you just lean over to your wife and says, he's supposed to pursue her the rest of his life hard with affection and devotion. Now, let's be honest. Last week, I was tough on the men. Man, I beat them with a stick, didn't I? So women, it's your turn this morning. And I want you to know, I'm going to do this without any animosity. I'm not going to take pleasure in it. And I want people to understand that the majority of the time when I teach on marriage, I would say 90% of the time, I'm always rougher on the men than I am the women. Is that not true, honey? It is true. And one of the reasons I'm rougher on the men than I am the women is because the man is supposed to be the leader of the home. So if I can straighten out the leader, then everything else seems to fall into place. But that does not mean that the woman does not play a key role in the relationship, and she does. People, it takes two to tango. So I was rough on the men last week. This week, it's the women's turn. Now, last week I told you that a woman's responsibility, or I should say a wife's responsibility in the relationship, is to be receptive to her husband's pursuit. And I gave you an example to illustrate what I mean by being receptive to her husband's pursuit. Well, this morning I'm going to give you a different example. Let's suppose that your husband is walking into Walmart. And as he's walking into Walmart on the right, he sees the flowers. So he thinks, well, I'm going to buy my wife some flowers. So when he gets home with all the things that you asked him to pick up because he wouldn't be going to Walmart unless you asked him to go, he gives you the flowers and with a big smile on his face, he says, honey, this is for you. And you reply, well, where's the card? Well, I didn't get you a card. You bought, bought flowers and you didn't buy a card? Well, I didn't think about it, but I did think about getting you flowers. Pastor Allen says, if you think about doing something special for your wife, do it. And I did it. Yeah, but I bet Pastor Allen buys his wife a card when he buys her flowers. And I bet he gives roses instead of carnations. Carnations are what you give to someone when someone in their family has died, honey. Now, women, that's not being receptive. That's being critical. And there's a big difference between being receptive and being critical. Here he's done, done something nice for you, and his, in, in his mind, he's done something romantic, and you're cutting him down. Do you really think that's going to make him want to pursue you? Well, of course not. Now, here's the funny thing. 
Do you know what that makes you? And it's not what you're thinking, though that might be true. It makes you a contentious wife. That's right. If you are not receptive to your husband's pursuit, I want you to understand you are a contentious woman. Turn to Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 15. It says, a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Now I want you to underline the word contentious. Contentious is translated from the Hebrew word midyon. Midyon means discontent. It also means contrary in the sense of complaining. So technically, a contentious woman is a woman who's discontent and complaining. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. And you notice all the men are going, today I'm taking notes. <laughs> a contentious woman is a woman who's discontent and complaining. Now, in Christ's day, the rabbis defined a contentious woman in a completely different way. They defined a contentious woman as a woman who cannot be pleased. And let me show you why they defined it that way. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 15. And what I want to do is I want to read that text again, but I also want to read the verse after it. Because it's these two verses that caused the rabbis to define a contentious woman as a woman that cannot be pleased. Let's read that. A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold something with greased hands. Now let me ask you a question. Can you stop the wind? No, it's impossible to do. Can you hold on to something with greased hands? Well, no, that's also impossible to do because the tighter you squeeze the faster it slips out of your hand. Now, I want you to look back at verse number 16. Stopping her complaints. Whose complaints? A contentious woman's complaints. Stopping a contentious woman's complaints is like trying to stop the wind. Impossible. Or trying to hold something with, gre with greased hands. Impossible. So what this is saying is it's impossible to stop a contentious woman from complaining. You cannot do it. So rabbis, based upon these two verses, defined a contentious woman as a woman that cannot be pleased. It doesn't matter what her husband does in pursuing her. She always finds something to complain about. That is a contentious woman. Now, let me tell you a true story. I've taught on marriage quite a bit, and I'll be honest with you. Throughout the rest of my ministry, I will continually do series on marriages. And it doesn't matter if you've been with me when I first started. Every series will be different. And the reason why is because I could teach forever on the subject of marriage. And I would never run out of enough information to teach on because the Bible speaks that much about it. But several years ago, I was teaching a series on marriage, and a young man decided that he was going to step up and be the leader of his home, and he was going to start being more romantic. So one day, out of the blue, he bought his wife a dozen roses, and he had them delivered to her. And when he got home, he was all excited to see what kind of response he was going to get from that. But he didn't get the response he had asked for. So he said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, well, the flowers are beautiful. But we don't have a lot of money. And if you want to do something nice for me in the future, then take me out to eat. So a few weeks later, he surprised his wife and he took her out to eat. But he didn't get the response he asked or he wanted. So he asked her, honey, what's wrong? And she said, when I said take me out to eat, 
I meant somewhere nice, not someplace in Tahlequah. Take me to Tulsa. So a few weeks later, he took her to Tulsa. He put down $100 for both of their meals. He took her to the Cinemark to see a movie, and then he stopped for ice cream on the way home. But he noticed that she really wasn't that happy the whole evening. So we asked her, honey, what's wrong? And she said, you spent way too much money. I would rather that you just bought me something inexpensive to show me that you care. That's all you really need to do. Well, by this time, the man is beating his head against the wall because no matter what he did, she wasn't pleased with it. And this is what he told me because he came to see me. In fact, they were contemplating getting a divorce. And he said, I'm not even going to try anymore. It doesn't do any good. Now, because they'd both come to see me, I'm going to say this. The problem was that he was married to a contentious woman. She didn't think of herself as a contentious woman, but she was. You see, it didn't matter what her husband did in pursuing her. She always found something to complain about. She was always discontent with whatever he did. It's not enough. It's too much. It's not special enough. It's too special. Whatever. The bottom line is that she was a contentious woman, and she will always find something to complain about. I want you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verses 4 through 5, and it's getting quiet out there. Women are starting to get upset. Men are hunkering down and not saying a word. It's all right, men. I'm going to speak up for you, okay? It's time I took the, woman to the, the women to the woodshed. All right. Proverbs 26, verses 4 through 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now, if you notice, verse number 4 says, don't answer a fool. Do not do it. Verse 5 says, to answer a fool. Yes, you're supposed to answer a fool. So which is it? Do you answer a fool or not? Well, this is what scholars refer to as a synthetic proverb. It's where one verse goes to one extreme and the verse after it goes to the other extreme, but the interpretation is found somewhere in the middle. So what this is actually saying, or here's the interpretation of it, it doesn't matter whether you answer a fool or not because it won't do any good. And it's the same with a contentious woman. It doesn't matter whether you're romantic or you're not romantic because it won't do any good. She's going to be discontent no matter what you do. And let me explain why. Now, women, focus. Because if you have the tendency to be a contentious woman, and let me just say this. You don't have to be a contentious woman in every area. Maybe in 90% of the areas in your life, you're not this way. But when it comes to one area of your life, there is not a way in heck, let's say, that your husband can please you. So all that means is you're a contentious woman in that area. So let me explain why women are contentious, sometimes all the time and sometimes in specific areas. A contentious woman analyzes everything her husband does and then she picks it apart. And she picks it apart until she finds something she doesn't like. You go on a romantic date, well, he didn't open the car door for me. 
We go into the restaurant. Well, he didn't pull out the chair for me. He bought me flowers, but he didn't give me a card. He bought flowers, but it was the wrong type of flowers. You see, what happens sometimes, women, because you are so in tune with everything and you put so much thought into it, you get irritated that your husband doesn't put enough thought into it. But what you end up doing over time is you get to the point where you analyze everything he does and you pick it apart until you find something that you don't like about it. Amen. Now listen to me. If you are not receptive to your husband's pursuit, the Bible classifies you as a contentious woman, and I'm going to show you why. It's because you're discontent with the way he's pursuing you, and instead of being appreciative, you're complaining, which is technically the definition of a contentious woman, someone who's discontent and complaining. Now, can men be that way? Yes, the Bible talks about contentious men. Except normally it's going to manifest, manifest itself in a different way. But when we talk about a contentious woman, it's a person who is discontent with the way that their husband is pursuing them. And instead of being appreciative, they're complaining. That is the definition of a contentious woman. Now, I know what some of you women are thinking. Some of you women are thinking, but pastor... What if, you're, or what if my husband's a moron and what he thinks is romantic really isn't? I would say, how many of you want to ask that question, but I don't want to get the women in trouble, all right? But some of you are probably thinking that. Well, what if my husband's a, a moron and what he thinks is romantic really isn't romantic? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to answer. What do you do? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse number 1 says, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Ooh, that's good. Now, let's apply this to your situation. When your husband is pursuing you by trying to do something nice for you or something thoughtful, it's not the time to criticize. It's the time to be appreciative. There will come a time, I promise, when it's appropriate to tell him what you like and what you don't like. But when he's expressing love to you some, through some type of thoughtful gift or some type of thoughtful service, it's not the appropriate time to criticize or be sullen. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. Are you sure? Did I do something wrong? No. Not really. It's amazing to me how sensitive women can be so insensitive. Now, that's a spanking. But it is amazing to me because I see it happen all the time. And let me tell you, if you do that, you're a contentious woman. Now, some of you might be thinking, but I don't do that all of the time. Well, all that means is that you're not a contentious woman all of the time. It means you're a contentious woman some of the time. Now, last week, I taught the men how to pursue their wife. I knew that I was going to have to break it down for them, and I was going to have to make it simple. So this is what I told them. If you think of something good about your wife, you're to say it. If you think about something good to your wife, you're to say it. If you think about doing something special for your wife, you're to... Yeah, the person who spoke up, yep, you got it, right, the second time. 
If you think about something good, or you think of something good about your wife, you're to say it. You're to compliment her. If you think about doing something special for her, you're to do it. So women, I'm going to teach you how to be receptive to your husband's pursuit. This is coming from a man's perspective, but it's also coming from the Bible's perspective, all right? So when I tell you how to be receptive to your husband's pursuit... It's thus saith the Lord because it's coming out of God's word, but it's also coming from a male's perspective. And I'm not saying it's because God's a male. I'm just saying that, boy, God understands men because he created them. And when I study God's word and I see what his word says about this, I understand that God knows men. So women, here's how you're supposed to be receptive to your husband's pursuit. Are you ready? You are to appreciate the thought... More than the gift or deed. Wow. Let me say that again. Because you do this for everyone except your husband. If your friend gives you a crappy gift, you don't go, that's it? That's what you got me for my birthday? Oh my gosh, my kids could have done better than that. No! You wouldn't have any friends if you did that. And you're a sensitive woman. But when your husband does something like that, you let him have it or you don't speak for three days. So listen to me. You are to appreciate the thought more than the gift of deed or gift or deed. Why? Because the motive behind the gift is always more important, always more valuable than the gift itself. You know, the gifts that I value more than any other gifts are the gifts that my kids gave me when they were little. I'm going to tell you, they gave me some pretty crappy gifts. But they loved me, and they were so proud to give me those gifts. And I would take those gifts, and they meant more to me than anything that someone could have bought me. Because I understood that the motive behind the gift is always more important than the gift itself. People you are, or women you are, to appreciate the thought more than the gift or deed. And then later, and we're talking days, maybe weeks, not hours, you can bring up what you really like and what you don't like. And eventually, you'll have that dumb man trained. (laughs) I understand, let's bring it out in the open. When you marry us, You are not marrying the person of your dreams. Well, I guess I should say you are marrying the person of your dreams. But it's what you dream you can make him. You're marrying him as a work in in, in progress. But the problem is you don't know how to train. You beat him down before you ever get a chance to really train him. So he comes to the conclusion it does no good to pursue this woman. She is a contentious woman. She will pick everything apart and find one thing she didn't like about what I did and the evening is ruined so I'm telling you later not talking hours but talking days or weeks you can bring up what you really like or don't like two weeks down the road my wife can tell me honey you got me a six inch cookie cake and that was so good I so pretty next time you do that oh I love them get me a 13 inch one would you And I go, okay, 13 inch, take a note. Should I have already known that? You betcha. I should have known that. But you know what? Men are kind of stupid. It takes us a while. Now, I want you to understand something about men. 
Men really do want to please you. They really do want you to think of them as being romantic, as being the leader, looking up to them. And here's the most interesting thing, and I've told you this before. A woman, the thing that she cherishes most is unconditional love. But that's not true for a man. The thing that a man desires more than unconditional love is respect. If a man doesn't think that you respect him, I'm telling you, that will cut him to the bone. But some of you, the way you talk to your husband, it shows no respect whatsoever. You are hurting your marriage. And the only reason I'm bringing all of this up is because I don't want you to have a crappy marriage. I don't want you to have a crappy life. And neither does God. So, men, you're supposed to cleave unto your wife. You're supposed to pursue her with affection and devotion. And I'm going to throw in another word. You're supposed to pursue her hard with affection and devotion. And the word hard there simply means with all of your might. Man, you're not, just because you've won her, you're not to take it easy. You're to say, boy, I tell you, if she th thinks she loves me now, just wait 10 years from now. She's going to love me even more. I've got all these things thinking of and, and thought out. And women, your job is to be receptive to your husband's pursuit. Now, women, I'm going to give you a homework assignment, all right? I want you to ask yourself, am I a contentious woman? Don't ask your husband because he'll lie to you. He might be dumb, but he's not that dumb, I don't think. Now, if you go home and say, honey, my contentious woman, he says yes. Oh, my. I'm, the Bible says divorce is wrong, but I want you to understand, he's going to lie and say, oh, honey, no, no, you're never contentious. That Debbie Miller with Randall's wife, now she's contentious. That Sue Samson with Debbie, oh, Sue is a contentious woman. But honey, you are not contentious. So don't ask your husband, because he knows what's good for him. Ask yourself. And then I want you to consider the possibility that you might not be contentious in every area, but there's one area in particular where maybe you consider yourself just to be picky in that area. Maybe that's so important to you that, you know, he knows how important this is to me. I, he really ought to get it right. But he might be so nervous that he could never get it right in that area. <laughs> so he overanalyzes it. Have you ever seen that? And then he just screws it all up. I want you to ask yourself, well, maybe am I contentious in just one area? And if you are, if you come to the conclusion that, you know what, I am a contentious woman, then here's what you need to do. It's a two-step process, two process. You ready to take notes? Repent is number one. And number two is, stop it! Stop it! Can I get any clearer than that? Remember... The motive behind the gift is always more important than the gift itself. And I'm here to tell you, if a husband and wife will do these two things, if the man will pursue her with affection and devotion, and the woman will, will be receptive to his pursuit, I'll tell you this, even people who are non-Christians will have a good relationship. And that's kind of sad. 
when we look inside the church and we go from marriage to marriage and we realize that the statistics aren't any different inside the church, that 60% in Oklahoma of all couples who get married will get divorced. Six out of ten couples will get a divorce. Only four out of ten will make it. Why? Because pastors aren't teaching the word of God. Now, I have to be honest with you. I have to work myself up into doing this because I'm scared of you women. I don't mind beating up on the men. But when you beat up on the women, I could suffer this week. So I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of grace. Because I rarely pick on you. But this is one area where you can turn your marriage around. You really can.